27. Would I have some more of those uh, uh, diagrams of the tabernacle up here? Uh, and I won't bother to hand them out to you right now. If you didn't get one last week, they're up here on the front pew. And uh, you can get one uh, after the uh, thing tonight, uh, this morning. Exodus chapter 27. Praise the Lord. We are doing a study on the tabernacle, if you're visiting with us uh, this morning. And we've uh, been doing this for a number of weeks and found some uh, interesting understandings uh, from the Word of God. And perhaps just by way of review, uh, beginning uh, this morning, why did God leave us the tabernacle? What was God's purpose in providing the tabernacle? Do you have any thoughts on that? Why did he bother doing this? Why did he bother having it so intricately recorded in the Word of God? Louis? Okay, that it immediate, its immediate uh, ministry was to see men reconciled to God, but it had a uh, forelooking unto the person of Jesus Christ. That's good. Anything else, Jeff? Okay, good. The, he brings up the thought of pattern that in this tabernacle was a pattern that people could look to, that they could relate to, and uh, what are some of the things that have, uh, that this tabernacle patterns for us, or what are some of the things that are, uh, that we see from the tabernacle? Someone, someone else. Morgan. Okay, there needs to be shedding of blood for forgiveness of sin. Okay, we had the gate that was a picture of Jesus Christ. And that only through that gate was it possible to enter in and to experience the righteousness of God. Now, why, uh, just, just a moment here, why did we say that the gate was a picture of Jesus Christ? What, uh, what caused us to believe that? Nate? Okay, Jesus said, I'm the door, and there's the similarity that is there. Uh, Rod? Didn't automatically take place just because you were born an Israelite, that you, uh, they uh, had a birthing room in the, uh, in the tabernacle courts, and uh, as soon as you were born, you were in. No, you had to make a decision to walk in. And they kept the uh, tabernacle door, a little back door at the back of the tabernacle, so no one would see you go in. Uh, is that right? What, what was the uh, place that this door was set? Okay. God intended, as part of the pattern, that God is into public decision. That God didn't provide a back door. He didn't provide a little uh, uh, secret uh, flap uh, in uh, the backside that people could sneak in that, that weren't right with God, that God intended that to be a public decision made for Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, why did God choose a tent? 
We talked about this before. Why not a temple? Why not, uh, uh, you know, some uh, mausoleum or something? What, Ken? Because his people lived in tents. What does that tell us about God? If God uh, lived in a tent because his people lived with a tent, that tells us something about the nature of God. Ron? Excellent. That he wanted, he cared, he wanted to have relationship with them, he wanted to have contact with them and be involved in their lives. Louis? Okay, willing to humble himself. That's what you were going to say. Amen. Jesus, the Bible says the Word became flesh and tabernacled and tented, literally, the verb is, and tented among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Not a God that's up in heaven waiting for you and I to struggle and claw our way into heaven, but a God that came down to where you and I lived, identified with our humanity, lived on planet Earth, uh, fought the same temptations, lived the same uh, circumstances of life, yet without sin, because he is God, and then died for us. Okay, let's move on to the brazen altar. What did we... Uh, well, let's, let's read about it first. Who's got a New King James Bible that can read uh, 1 through 8 for us of 27? Uh, Brother uh, John Palmer. Okay, and so this altar, uh, made out of brass, it's acacia wood that is covered by brass, and that uh, is, uh, what, uh, eight uh, feet, nine inches long, eight feet, nine inches wide, and a five-plus feet high, a huge structure that is there uh, in the middle of the tabernacle. As we have our uh, thing, we have the tabernacle itself, the Holy of Holies, and the, uh, the holy place, uh, and then we have the laver, and right here we have the brazen altar. The reason we call it the brazen altar is because there's another altar that's inside the altar of incense, but this is the brazen altar. Now, what is the picture that God uh, has us to deal with upon entering into the gate the first thing that we see is the brazen altar. And what is God speaking to us about in the brazen altar? What are, what's symbolized by uh, the uh, makeup of that? Victor? Okay, he hates sin. And this is a picture... Of judgment. Now, why do we say that was a? It has to do with judgment. What are some of the components of this that speak to us of judgment? Rod. Okay. There is uh, there is involved uh, death that is there, and death, as we see a number of places in Scripture, is the outworking of God's judgment. That when God will judge sin, he'll kill. What's the other picture of uh, judgment that is there? Jeff Taro. Okay, brass itself is a picture of judgment throughout the Word of God. And so this is made of brass. Excellent. One more thing, one more component, Mike Elsis. Fire is also a picture of judgment. And these are the components that we see here that uh, we have God... 
having us deal with immediately when we enter in that God hates sin and God will judge sin. God is not uh, this understanding uh, God in the sense that we would think of, uh, well, uh, you know, I understand your weakness and I understand that, you know, you can't be perfect and, and you, you know, you fail sometimes and, and you have difficulties. God detests sin. God hates sin. And God is not uh, uh, in the business uh, of uh, covering over sin. What's God's uh, uh, emotional response, if you will? What's God's uh, response uh, to sin? Okay, there's a scripture in Psalms that he's angry, continually angry with the sinner. Psalms 711. And that's a picture of uh, such intense anger that the individual is foaming at the mouth. That's the picture of God and His uh, outlook upon sin. Not, oh, well, that's too bad, I understand, but an intense rage. Okay, good. And we're going to get into some more of that later. Our brother has a good insight there. There's the, the picture of that wood that's being protected from judgment, and we're going to look at that. Uh, that's a that's a good thought. Okay, so we've got a God that has not one that simply overlooks sin, not one that does not care, or one that is uh, uh, that our whole reason for getting saved is is just uh, well, uh, God loves you and He's got blessing for you, and uh, boy, it's just so great to be saved if you just. Uh, you know, get saved and he'd give you a uh, Cadillac and he'd just make you so happy and give you all kinds of joy. And well, that's okay. And uh, that, that's true that there's joy and, uh, and uh, forgiveness of sin, peace with God and, and all those wonderful things. But you know, if that's all that there is to salvation, the sinner can say, well, uh, I can find those things other places. I can find a, a type of joy. I can find a type of peace, but there's only one way to deal with a sin that is in your life that is causing God intense rage focused upon you, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we do appeal to people uh, with the blessings of salvation, how wonderful the Lord Jesus is. That gate was a beautiful, beautiful gate that was there, and that is a picture of the appeal of Jesus. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. And that's, of course, a picture of the cross. But it's also an understanding that there is an appeal that Jesus has that he will draw men to himself. If we'll present that gate, if we'll present that person of Jesus. However, there needs to be understood that the reason we will have no fellowship unless we deal with our sin at the altar. Okay, and so we were talking about some things that had to do last week with hell. That this is a picture of the intensity of God's wrath against sin. God's wrath against sin is not just a slap on the back of the hand. People who will choose to turn their backs on God, people who will not choose for Jesus Christ, will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And we talked about uh, that last week, that 
this is not simply, uh, this is not uh, fake fire or, or just a poetic language that has to do with fire. How, how did we remember that? How did we learn that? That this didn't have to do with just pretend fire or just a uh, hype, uh, you know, thought there. Sister Lazar? Okay, smoke of their torment. Jesus would tell parables uh, about, uh, uh, you know, uh, tares and wheat and the tares thrown into the fire. And then when he'd change over and describe the parable, he'd change the tares into something, he'd change the wheat into something, but the fire remained the same. That the fire is a reality that is there. Mike? Right. So we're talking about literal fire. That this is not destruction in the sense of annihilation. This is uh, an eternal thing. That it goes on forever and ever. The smoke of their torment went up forever and ever. Well, what does that mean? Does it, doesn't that, couldn't that mean just a, it literally means from the age to the age. Doesn't that mean that it would go on for a particular period of time and then it would stop someday? No, because it's the same word that is used to describe the eternity of God. That God who liveth forever and ever from the age to the age. So hell is going to be around as long as God will be around, which is forever and ever and ever in torment in the lake of fire. Let's look at some other scriptures. Matthew 25, 41. Bill Bancroft, George Shields, Revelation 14, 11. In the section right here, somebody, Mike Elsus, Second uh, Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. And uh, Revelation 7, 12, Brother Burke. Okay, this is, we're talking about torment uh, that is endless. Well, why are you talking about this, Brother Foley? I, I'm getting really nervous, and I, this isn't a comfortable topic, but this is the Word of God. And this is what we need to understand, that we're not simply offering people an alternative lifestyle. We're not offering them an alternative eternity. That people who do not receive Jesus as their Savior, who do not repent and put their faith in the Son of God, this will be their portion forever and forever and forever. This is a reality this morning. Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Okay. Everlasting fire. Revelation fourteen eleven. Second okay. Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. Okay. Everlasting destruction. This is not annihilation. That Well, you hit the lake and pow, you disintegrate and, and you're gone. This is, this is a destruction. This is a, a perdition. This is something that this experience la is everlasting. This experience goes on forever. You never... Uh, become extinct, you never become annihilated, you never cease to exist, you are an eternal soul. You will live either forever with Jesus or you will live forever in the lake. Revelation 7.12. Okay, this is just the picture again of, uh, of praise as it relates to the eternity of the nature of God. Okay, let's look uh, at where this issue is settled. 
John 8.21. John 8.21. Ben Manzanares, uh, Hebrews 9.27, Dennis. Uh, John 5.28 and 29, uh, Sam and Ron Stewart. Luke 16.26. This issue is not settled after your death. If you, uh, if you weren't all that bad, uh, you'd go to purgatory. Purgatory uh, comes, obviously, from purge. It's a place that you suffer and are tormented, and that supposedly cleans you up until you can go to heaven. And you need to, your friends and relatives to pay for you. You need to pay for some masses to be said for you. You need to go through, uh, have a number of things done for you that hopefully that you'll be released and can go into heaven. The problem is that that appears nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says that the issue is settled one place and one place alone. That once we pass from life into death, then the issue is now settled for all eternity. John 8.21 Okay, you shall die in your sins. And if you do that, where I'm going, you're not going to be able to go. Hebrews 9.27 Okay, die, judgment. That's the experience. No court of appeals. The great white throne judgment is not a trial. Sentence uh, is already been handed down. The sentence is delivered. Judgment is brought to pass. That's what the the white throne is. It's not a trial when they take out the balances and weigh your good deeds against your bad deeds. It's not when they uh, uh, take out the balances and see uh, uh, how religious you are. You take a, a breath test of uh, how many how much uh, uh, holy incense that you uh, breathed, and if uh, it reads a certain degree, then then you're released into heaven. Uh, it's, uh, it is uh, a passing of judgment. That's what the white throne is. And when you get there, that's, it's already been settled. John 5, 28 and 29. Okay. From death to damnation or eternity with God. Luke 16, 26. Okay, this is the parable of Lazarus, the discussion going on between uh, uh, Abraham and Lazarus, uh, uh, the rich man. And uh, Abraham said, you will never, ever pass over to where we are. We're not going to come there. Thank God. Once you get to heaven, you don't have to worry about going to hell anymore. Glory to God. You, uh, once you get saved, you shouldn't have to worry about that. But you, uh, once you get to heaven, you're safe. Amen. Eternally secure. Glory to God. And, uh, but once you, if you are in hell, then that is it. There is no chance that uh, if you burn for a while, uh, that, you know, you committed so many sins, uh, so many mortal sins, so many venial sins, uh, and so you'll uh, uh, burn uh, for a certain period of time until those are taken care of. Uh, you will never pass over. Now, what about those who never hear? about Jesus Christ. What about, what about somebody who never hears the gospel? 
Romans 2, 12 and 16. If somebody could find those for us, uh, Bob Kimball. We understand that we do have a conscience, that there is a, a law that we receive uh, just through our conscience. But this, uh, and so therefore we are accountable. Wherever, whatever we've heard, we are accountable for our sin. And as sinners, we are worthy of judgment. The opposite understanding, I don't think that we can take, which would be to say, well, if I just live totally by my conscience and always uh, and do everything right, uh, well, you know, I guess then I, I, I'd be saved. The problem is, is that nobody does that. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. And yes, the understanding that we'll look at of the conscience and the accountability that is there, but there is no salvation that is offered there. It is only in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Revelation, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Romans 12, 12 and 16. Two, I'm sorry, two, 12 and 16, pardon me. Okay. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, uh, but the wrath of God abides upon him. There is the key. There's the situation uh, that is there. Okay, number of hands that are here. Dave? Okay. Well, that's unfair. That's unjust. People shaking their fists at a holy and loving God that gave His Son for salvation. Shaking their fists at Him. Even Christians. But the indictment of injustice is to be leveled at the church of Jesus Christ. The indictment of the, uh, the, the horrible selfishness that you and I have been given this gospel, that the church of Jesus Christ has had this gospel for 2,000 years and has neglected to reach the world. So if anybody's going to be accused, if anybody's going to have the finger pointed at them, it's the church and not God. He's done it all. He's done everything. And the church stands accused of falling short of that and still today playing all kinds of flippo games and all kinds of every diversion that you can imagine. And meanwhile, people are what? Dying without a little extra peace or a little extra joy? No, they're dying to spend eternity, all eternity in the lake of fire. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, I understand what you're saying, and I thank God that that happens on occasion uh, you know, someone open and God gets somebody to him. But when we're looking at the facts of what we look at today, we've got 2.5 billion people that don't know enough about Jesus to even make a decision. And so that is, even if a, uh, you, uh, you know, experienced a Philip, you know, and, you know, picked you up and, flopped you down somewhere in the, the Far East, uh, unless you, 
by a miracle you could speak in tongues and, and that happened to be his language, uh, you could not even communicate the gospel. So we're talking about two bills that don't even have anyone in their culture that if they were there, if they went there tomorrow. And so we're talking about a massive undertaking and one that we don't want to undercut our responsibility at all. And I understand the, some of the, the things that our brother is saying, that there's uh, for an open heart that God will see. I believe that God will see. And many of you, that same testimony, I've heard that a number of times, that you just really did cry out to God. You said, God, whatever. And within uh, a very brief period of time, someone came to you and shared the gospel with you. And that does happen, brother. I appreciate that. But uh, let's, uh, for our practical purposes, let's also look at the tremendous job that lies before us. Uh, Mark Hamilton. Right. Yeah. That's the logical extension of that. Well, let's not tell them. Then they won't be accountable. Then they'll all go to heaven. Well, uh, somehow that doesn't line up with the Bible. Rob and then Randy. Amen. Amen. How shall they hear without a preacher? How, how shall they believe unless they hear? And how shall they believe without a preacher? Woe is me. It says if you uh, see the man in his wickedness, you have an opportunity to reach and you do not, then God, he'll die in his sin. The Bible says he will die in his sin, but God will require that at our hands. And I understand there's balance to that. You know, we could stop every car in the street, you know, and because there's a wicked guy, he just drove by. And I understand there's a balance to that, but there is an accountability that you and I have to the world. Randy? Amen. Angels don't preach the gospel. Men preach the gospel. And it is only through men that people will respond. How lovely are the feet. Amen. Not the smiley face over the, over the disc into the TV set of the uh, guy in the deepest reaches of the jungles of the Philippines. He doesn't have a TV set. How lovely are the feet. You may put your chops... Uh, across the world. You may even get uh, some kind of message uh, to a person that doesn't even understand, but the Bible says that our responsibility is to go for our feet to be there. Amen. Okay, let's move on. This is, uh, you know, you and I could say, well, that means uh, we just got to go tomorrow. We got to go and, uh, you know, find all these places where people haven't heard yet and, and uh, uh, just uh, hit those places and, and get people saved and we need to understand that first of all, God is the Lord of the harvest. God has a strategy. And God will release that strategy as we are obedient to Him. And that strategy begins with you and I being soul winners in Prescott, Arizona. It begins with you and I being soul winners in the other reaches. It begins with you and I giving of our finances as others go to other places. Doesn't mean that you and I have to go to the, uh, just to the place where the need is the greatest. There's many lives that I believe are going to waste many, many years of their lives because rather than listening to the Lord of the harvest, they're simply going to where the need is the greatest. 
Where the need is the greatest, the response may not be the greatest. As we follow the strategy, God has in His heart how that those people will be reached. You and I need to follow the Lord of the harvest, be obedient in world evangelism, and God will see to it if we're obedient to Him that we're directed and we won't have to stand before him and say, well, you should have gone to this tribe or that tribe over here. If we'll simply do what we're supposed to do, God will direct us to those areas. Dear friends of mine that are right now in the process of working to go to uh, Libya. Well, the people in Libya need to hear the gospel. But I don't know if uh, they're the ones that are supposed to do it believe that there is a strategy for God to reach Muslim. I don't know how. It's going to take a miracle of God, but if we'll follow God's strategy, He'll see that people are touched. So you and I don't go to sleep tonight, uh, wake up packing our bags for uh, some far-out reach. Tomorrow, just witness to the people on your job. Uh, come on an outreach every once in a while. Let's get some people saved, and God will direct us in the harvest field. Amen. Now, as we, before we just conclude, what, what's our problem with hell? I mean, why do Christians get upset at the thought of hell? What's the thing that begins to hassle us? Why do we get upset? When we think about, I mean, this is doctrine, you know. Oh, yeah, doctrine. But I'm talking about how we feel. And it's not a burden. We get upset. What's the problem? Dave? Victor? Okay, family? Uh-huh. People that, that we love, that we know? Mark? Really hard. For you and I to say, Amen, thy judgments are right and true. When we know that we are just as bad and we're getting away with it, supposedly, because we're forgiven. Something that really gets to us. There's a violation somewhere in our minds. When you and I will maintain in our hearts rebellion, maintain sin, and then say, oh yeah, God's going to send sinners to, he <clears throat> to, <laughs> to hell. Because you and I can't, that does something weird in our personality. And so uh, that's one of the problems that we have. Jeff? Mm -hmm. Praise God. There, I think there needs to be an appreciation and an understanding that, praise God, this is, this is wonderful that I've been saved. And uh, that, that the unfairness that somebody else is not saved uh, is, is my responsibility from that point. Rob? Yes. Amen. See, we don't have the perspective on sin that God has. We don't understand the mystery of iniquity as God sees it a worldwide rebellion that uh, against God, that every sin is participating in rebellion against the authority and, and the love and the salvation of God. See, we don't see it that way. 
One more question, then we've got our comment. 